Uh, my name's Ian Marlowe. It's my privilege to take you through what is one of the most wonderful and transformative passages in the Bible. So uh, hang on for the ride. Um, before we do that, just, just to say the invitation service that we're going to do, the idea of it is to do something that's recognisably a St Barnabas service so that when people come another way, they won't think, oh, that's nothing like what we saw before. But to start the talk from the kind of questions that are in your friends' own minds, not from the Bible, not where we want them to be, but where they are, and take them to a point of giving some serious consideration to the claims of Christ on their life. That's where we're going. So do pray, do bring your friends, and do when it's done, tell us how we could do it better. Okay, Romans chapter 8, and we're reading the first 11 verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the, the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nice to know there are one or two Anglicans still left in St Barnabas. <laughs> Our passage starts with um, one of the most quotable quotes in the New Testament. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a declaration of freedom for those of us who are followers of Jesus. But it's much more than a kind of charismatic slogan. It's a truth that's meant to transform our lives. Now, I'm aware we're jumping in halfway through the book of Romans. And we've got a passage that starts with a therefore, and if you've heard me speak before, you know the old maxing happens true for me, that when you see a therefore, you need to ask what the therefore is there for. 
And the therefore is there because it's the conclusion, the triumphant conclusion to what is a kind of remorselessly logical argument that Paul goes through in the previous seven verses. It's deep in theology and it takes a bit of concentration. So let me give you the seven, first seven chapters of Romans in a, a minute or two. We come to Romans 8 after Paul has expressed his deep frustration in Romans 7 that he's just not the kind of person he wants to be. He would like to be kinder and better and more sin-free, but he feels like there's a war going on inside. As as the J.B. Phillips version puts it, I feel like I'm two people fighting. Does that resonate with you? It certainly does with me. And that comes out of a consideration in in chapters 1 and 2, an honest appraisal of the human situation. If you're religious, like the Jews, you have a code of law, and you know the better person you are, you know you don't live up to it. If you're an intelligent, reasonable person, the Greeks in his argument, you look at the world and even inside it yourself and think, I don't even live up to the standards I want of others. And if you're a pagan, you're even so, your your conscience tells you that you're not living the kind of life that ideally you think you should. And Romans 2 ends with the fact that we all stand guilty, if we're honest, before a righteous God. Chapters 3 and 4 start to look at the solution. And the whole argument is that it's not religious observance following laws that gets you right with God. It's about faith. And Paul does it in a wonderfully novel Jewish way and says, stop for a moment. Well, who came first? Abraham, the man of faith, although he had some serious wobbles. If you were his wife, you'd have called them more than wobbles. Go read the story. (laughs) Who came first, the man of faith or the man who brought the law, Moses. Well, it's faith. So faith is more important than law. That's his argument. So if you want to get to know God, it's about trust, not just doing stuff because someone's going to punish you if you don't. And chapters 5 and 6 explain how when God sent his son Jesus to the earth to die for us, our lives can be transformed as massively as going from death to life. There's a change in our status so that instead of being enemies of God, we're now at peace with God. And so by the time we get to chapter 7, he's again talking really honestly about the struggle he feels. And chapter 8 is this fantastic declaration that now we follow Jesus, everything is different. There's a view around that says, I'll forget theology, we just need to get on with doing stuff. And, you know, I am an activist. I'd always rather do than pray, I confess, or do than think. But actually, if we don't understand things correctly, we do them wrong. And the whole point of reading the Bible is to understand what God has done for us so that we can apply it 
practically in our lives. So let's dive into the practice and start by saying with, with Paul, goodbye to guilt. There is now no condemnation. Now, I have to say at the beginning, we all read the Bible with filters in our head, don't we? Um, we all have 21st century filters that as soon as we re- read condemnation or peace, we think feelings. We think, oh, that's nice. But actually, in the context, he's talking not about our feelings, but about our status. This is about us and God, and God looking at us as human beings and saying, why have you made such a mess of things? And we are in a state of, in Bible terms, sin. We are guilty. And so the no condemnation is God looking at us in Christ who died for our sin and saying, you are no longer guilty. Thankfully, I've never been in court apart from a juror, as a juror, which which is kind of quite fun. We were sort of a hanging jury, but uh, now he's guilty, 20 minutes, and then when they ask for 93 other cases to be taken into consideration, you think, yeah, we probably got that right. wasn't a difficult case. But I can't imagine what it would be going through the trauma of a trial and at the end of it, the relief when the judge says, you're not guilty, you're free to go. And that's what's being spoken of here. There is no condemnation because God looks at you in me, in Christ, and says, you're not guilty. You're free to live in the way that I've called you to. Just as we were guilty before God, whether we felt it or not, we are now made not guilty by the death of Christ. He paid the price for our sin, the innocent for the guilty. Sorry to labour it. I mean, it's kind of, most of us here are Christians, and this is everyday stuff. We know it. But kind of we don't know it (laughs) a lot of the time. So let's repeat it. There is something that has happened. Jesus died on the cross for us. A fact, a historical event that has changed our status before God if we trust in Christ forever. We are not guilty. We have gone from condemnation to freedom. And that change of status leads us to a new experience of God in the Holy Spirit. The problem is, if you go for the experience, you're forever frustrated. If you don't understand what Christ has done for you and how it changes your situation. Some people seem to think that Christianity is all about feeling bad. Have you ever been to churches where... You just think, why does everyone look so miserable? You've been there? (laughs) I went to a church. Well, I didn't go to a church. I looked outside. That was enough. Um, uh, And it had one of those big sort of painted roofs that said, after death comes judgment. Cheerful. Hey. And then as you went in the door, it had... um, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
in a great big poster, and above the door, in letters about an inch high, it said, welcome. <laughs> I didn't feel welcome. In fact, I didn't even go in. Sometimes we think that Christianity is all about feeling bad. But you know, there's a flip side of it where we think Christianity is all about feeling good. And if you're like me, and some of you will be, that you've gone through periods of real depression, coming to a, a service where you're told to cheer up really doesn't cheer you up very much at all. But I knew when I was depressed that Christ had still died for my sins. I was still in Christ. I was still a new creation. Going on to verse 2, Paul tells us that there are two laws at work in our life. One is dragging us down, the law of sin and death, and the other is lifting us up, the law of the Spirit. And one of the illustrations that's often given is about flight. You're going along the runway, subject to the law of gravity, and when you take off, you're into the realm of aerodynamics. Do you remember the first time you ever got on a jumbo jet? And you start counting the number of people on it and the weight of the luggage. And it's thundering along the runway and you think it's about to take off and then it thunders on the runway a bit more and you think it's about to take off and then you go, I'm going to die! <laughs> you think this is just impossible. And some of us are Christians kind of because we don't believe that there is another law that can be in work in our lives, we're kind of still thundering along the runway. Because taking off, believing you could actually be different, is just unbelievable. But the passage we're reading says there is real possibility of radical change in my life because I'm in a new situation. And it's because, verse 3, of the work of the cross... Paul's really clear. Legalism is powerless. Trying to do more stuff better just makes you more miserable, more guilty, more frustrated. But God has sent his son to die on a cross to put us in a completely new place. It's interesting how he describes it really carefully, that Jesus was sent in the likeness of human flesh, not that he wasn't really a human being, but he was much more than a human being. He was God's son come down to earth. And on the cross, Jesus broke the power of sin and legalism. The cross condemned sin rather than sin condemning us. And that means what was impossible for us can now be made possible. F.F. F. Bruce puts it like this, there is therefore no more reason why those who are in Christ Jesus should go on in a life of penal servitude, bound to carry out the dictates of the tyrannical law of sin and death. What a statement. That the things that drag us down can be different. We can live differently. We can speak differently. Our relationships could be transformed. But to do so, we have to live in the Spirit. And that starts from knowing that Christ died for us. You ever have those sets of instructions from people 
Where, actually, my father-in-law was good at this. As soon as he knew you were going somewhere, he, he really has never got on with sat-nav, he would give you a kind of turn-by-turn description. And if you were going 200 miles, you were going to be there a long time. <laughs> he would just sort of run through it all. And uh, we, we kind of learned very quickly to print out something that looked like a set of instructions. It didn't matter what they were. They could be a recipe. Say, so, we've got the instructions, goodbye. <laughs> we still do it, actually, but there we go. <laughs> and sometimes you get instructions, and really all they're trying to tell you is, if I were you, I wouldn't start from here. The key to living in the spirit is starting in the right place. If you don't start with, I'm a sinner forgiven by the death of Christ. I'm free. I'm a new creature. If you don't start there, living in the spirit is impossible. Christianity just becomes another guilt trip. Going on to verse 5, the question there, I think, is who is in charge of my life? Am I living according to the flesh? That's a kind of shorthand for the old nature that was opposed to God. Or am I living in the spirit? And it's interesting how he talks about it. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on by what the flesh desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Isn't it interesting? One of the keys to life in the spirit, according to Paul, is what we think about. What we think about, what we set our minds to do, what we give our attention to. Decide to follow. And we're called to have minds governed by the spirit. Now, how does that work? If life in the spirit is freedom, not law, how come we're called to be determined and set our minds? Is it all about us or is it all about God? Well, it's all about God in the end, but if you don't set your minds in the right way, you're never going to get going. Any of you ever sailed a dinghy? I was a terrible sailor. No one ever really told me before I got into a boat what the terms meant. You know, you learn fairly quickly that when they say tack, there's a dirty great lump of wood driven by the wind that's about to smash your head in if you don't duck and move quickly. It's kind of just a bit terrifying. And it feels like it's all fingers and thumbs. But then you learn after a bit that if you just get the sails right and you're steering in the right direction with the wind, it's the most fantastic feeling. It's like you're flying over water. Now, you can't make that happen. There's no engine. If you get it wrong, you just sort of flap around and everything looks a bit pathetic. And if it's rough, you just get wet. But if you just set the sails in the right direction, there's just an impetus and a power. And I think that's what he's talking about here. If we just stop set our minds on the things of God, maybe more regularly in the day we need to do a reset, then we'll find that wind of the Spirit helping us. One of the questions that um, 
I've been asked a lot recently, and so it sticks in my mind, is where's my focus? Where's my attention? Am I expecting God to speak to me during the day? And I've, I've tried, and I sometimes succeed, but I'm less bad than I was, to go into meetings, whether they're work or church or family, and say, Lord, what do you want me to say here? What do you want me to do? And it's surprising how often when you ask that question, you know what it is. Actually, sometimes the answer is nothing. <laughs> Fine, probably helps. Sometimes you just get a question in your mind, which is the thing that will unlock a situation. You have to trust God. I can think of situations in recent weeks where I've had one question in my mind going in to meet someone, and I've asked it six times before you get to the reality of what's going on. Sometimes it's serve them. But that's life in the Spirit. Setting our minds, our wills, to do what God wants rather than what we want. I've been reading some stuff recently about um, people who are successful, who manage to do so much in their lives because they cut down their choices. If you ever watch um, any video of Steve Jobs, he will be wearing the same set of clothes. Okay? Jeans, polo neck sweater, same sneakers. That's what he did. Because he had busy days, so he got up in the morning and didn't have to think, so what am I going to wear today? <laughs> he would just think, jeans, polos. Please don't be like that. It, we would look like a cult if everyone turned up like that. That would be weird. <laughs> Definitely be weird. But if we set our minds deliberately to follow the Lord, it cuts down our choices. We're likely to sin less. There's a decision that makes life easier as we go through the day. Finally, let's get to verses 9 to 11, and then we'll wrap up. Again, remember where we start from. Forgiven, new life, the Holy Spirit within you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. It's an interesting question, isn't it? Does the Spirit of God live in you? Well, he kind of answers it. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not begin, belong to Christ. It's easy to turn that into a guilt-inducing sentence, but it's not meant to. What he's saying is if you've responded to the claims of Christ, made him your Lord that you're going to follow, the Holy Spirit is within you. It doesn't matter whether you're having a wonderful day or a crappy day. It doesn't matter when the action song comes up, whether you're going, this is fun, or let me hide under the chair somewhere. If you've responded to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. I just wonder if everyone here has started the Christian life. Maybe you're just investigating, wondering what this is. Well, you're in the right place. That's great. One of the wonderful things about Jesus is he did let people ask questions and think and work things through. 
And there comes a point where you know you have to decide whether you're in and out. Have you started? Because Jesus' death for our sins changes everything. Absolutely changes everything. And we'd love you to be engaged in it. And he says in verse 10, wonderfully, well, death is at work in us, but also life in Christ. Now, a lot of you are young enough not to kind of feel too much death, unless you had a rough night last night, but you get to a certain age where if things aren't falling off, they just don't do what you tell them to do anymore. But Christ and his power and the work of his spirit continues and even grows as you get older. Finally, we get this great statement in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and if you're a believer, he is, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. If you're anything like me, you've got things in your life that the day you committed to Christ changed. I was fearful of death, and the day I responded to Jesus, that went. I am slightly concerned every now and then about how I might die, (laughs) but don't worry about where I'm going. That just changed. And yet there are other things that are a battle. Do you identify with that? And I can look back and say, I've struggled with that for 50 years. Just life. Actually, I think this verse is a massive challenge when we think like that. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, impossible, unique, never happened before, is living in you, in me, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I think the challenge to us is to dare to believe that about bits of our lives that we've given up on. To dare to believe that about bits of our lives that we've given up on. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in my life and yours. So let me draw it to a a close. Three questions. First is this. Have I made the choice to follow Christ? Maybe you're sitting there scratching your head and thinking, I just don't know enough about this yet. Well, come along to the invitation service, talk to your friends. Come to Alpha when we do it in the new year. Find out. Because this is either the most important issue in the world, or it really is a load of old nonsense. That's paraphrasing the Apostle Paul about the resurrection. Have I made the choice to follow Christ? Secondly, am I living in the light of what Christ has won for me? And the honest answer, of course, is up to a point. <laughs> up to a point. If you think you're perfect, well, um, well, good luck to you, God bless you. You're probably in the wrong church. <laughs> because we all know in our heart of hearts that bits of us are transformed and Bits of us are still hanging on to the old ways. Am I living in the light of what Christ has won for me? Forgiven, free from condemnation, 
with the power of the Spirit to change at work in my life? And the third question is a, is a very practical one. Where in my daily life is the focus of my mind, my attention? Am I living in the Spirit? Am I as much on Monday morning when I've got to go through, what am I doing on Monday morning? Answering a difficult question to a client, sorting out the business finances. Am I at that point as, Lord, what do you want me to do here? as I am when I'm here on a Sunday morning? Am I living in the spirit, not just in the religious bit of my life, but in every bit of my life? Let's pray.